0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Dice Talk, the show where we talk all things Dungeons and Dragons to come up with some helpful hints and interesting ideas that you can bring back to the gaming table. I'm your host, Jeremy Fair, and on today's episode, we are going to discuss a topic that has a lot of players split. It is a topic that generates a lot of opinions in the D&D pseudo-culture. Today, we are comparing published and homebrew campaigns, and we have a lot to say about it. So, without further ado, let's get into it on Dice Talk. Tonight we have a special guest, Patrick Collins. Patrick, why don't you just take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell them a little bit about what you do and your experience with Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Patrick Collins. I am the creator and host of the Geek Sauce podcast. Uh, I'm a dungeon master for now, and uh, I'm, I'm a big nerd. Like, I used to do this podcast about comic books and other nerdy stuff in comic book movies, and then last year I kind of stumbled across. Uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, and Critical Role, and Force Gray, like a bunch of already uh, pretty popular D&D shows, and then got really sort of obsessed with the the game itself. So I did a lot of research and created a group, and it fell apart, and then I found the guys that I'm with now, and we uh, we do the Geek Sauce podcast.
0: So you say that you used to do the Geek Sauce podcast about comics. What is the Geek Sauce podcast all about nowadays?
1: We are an actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast where we sit around the table in my garage and record all the bullshit that I have to deal with as the dungeon master with these funny nerds that I hang out with. Uh, We're currently going through the Horde of the Dragon Queen module from Wizards of the Coast, and uh, we're about to be switching over. One of the players, Jeremy, is going to start DMing for the group, and we're going to be running a game in uh, his homebrewed world called Rahala. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm um from my own group at home. We're also running through the horror of the Dragon Queen at the moment. We're, we're swiftly approaching the final chapter. It's pretty good stuff. I mean, Wizards of the Coast, it seems like all the material that I've read and looked through is, is pretty good. I mean, I know published campaigns can be limiting sometimes, but from my experience with them, they're pretty awesome.
1: We've had a pretty good time. Uh, the only thing that I've experienced is that, like, I can never anticipate any anything that the group is going to do. Like I'll set up all of these ideas for stuff that oh, these guys will definitely talk to this person and it never happens.
0: Well, I think that just comes with the uh just comes with the grounds of DMing in general. Seems like no matter how much you plan, your uh, players are going to always they're always going to do something that's so fucking crazy that it almost seems like they're doing it on purpose just to throw you off.
1: Well, just for example, we got to the very last portion of Horde of the Dragon Queen. It's, uh, the, the floating cloud giant's castle, right? So they, they have all the information they need. They have the banner to show that, like, they're, they're welcome there. They have the disguises. They have, like, cultist robes from a long, long time ago. They know both of the passcodes. Three of the characters use the passcodes, get through the gates, and then, our barbarian and our priest completely flub on what to say. And the two stone golems that are there just turn and start attacking. And that's where we cut off our last episode, which I I think will be come out like next week.
0: Yeah. I was uh, looking ahead to be prepared for uh, my own group and we're playing on that same part. And those stone golems seems like it seems like they could really like mess these players up. They're not exactly weak.
1: No, not at all. Like, together, I think the two of them have something like 350 HP.
0: Well, whenever my players try to mess with me, I'll just kind of return fire. Like with, um, excuse me, <clears throat> with um, Castle Neritar, one of my players was messing with me all day, and then when he tried to sneak in, he used the sky Self to look like a Bullywog. Well, I was doing these crazy accents and things for all the different Bullywogs. And uh, so I made them wondering why he sounds so weird, why he doesn't speak like a Bullywog. And I ruined his whole plan of trying to infiltrate. Yeah,
1: well, if you go into the Monster Manual,
0: Bullywogs don't even speak Common. Yeah, I guess that's true. I just made them have like a a very difficult to understand version of Common. I guess even then I was kind of going easy on them since they shouldn't be able to speak Common at all. Yeah, no, I, I looked up
1: that they didn't speak Common their sorcerer has the ability to, you know, disguise self. So he goes in there dressed like a bullywug, and he's talking to him and then they turn at him and just croak and he goes, ah, fuck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so have you been playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons for a long time or have you just kind of started it when you began doing this portion of the podcast?
1: No, I started about six to eight months before we started recording it. And I did not start as a player. I started as a DM because I didn't know anybody that played um, or that would be able to DM for me. So I was like, screw it. It doesn't look that hard. I'll do it.
0: Yeah, I definitely know the feeling. Uh, when I first started, I only played like, I think I played like a little one shot that my roommate was using to teach me how to play. And other than that, I've never played. And I basically had to go out, buy the player's handbook, buy the dungeon master's guide. And I just read through all of that so I can convince my friends to play. And of course now I'm stuck in this permanent DM seat.
1: Yeah, I actually am uh <laughs> I'm really happy to DM. It's kind of m- like my favorite aspect of the game because I'm a little bit of a control freak personally. And then now that we're switching and we're allowing Jeremy to take over the DM role for the podcast, like I'm I'm really not super happy on the inside, but I have to like, you know, just let it go cuz you know, we're all playing as a group and I got to be a player now.
0: I'm sure he'll do fine. Did he DM the most recent sessions, the uh, one-shots?
1: Yeah, that's Jeremy. He is the DM for the one shot, uh, and that is uh, based in the world that he created, Rahala, but about either fifty or hundred years before what we're going to be playing in.
0: Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I was listening to that a little bit. It was it was really good. It was really entertaining. Um, to all the listeners out there, you should definitely look up Geek Sauce. It's a really good actual play show. Well, thank you.
1: Uh, if if for any reason anybody wants to follow us on Instagram because we post pictures of the table and the setups and my goofy ass behind the DM screen doing silly voices. Um, I am there at GeekSauce DM, and our group page on Instagram is at Geeksauce
0: underscore network. So when you played um, before producing the podcast, did you play a homebrew campaign, or did you play a published campaign?
1: Well, the game that I had played in, I kind of came into the group after they were pretty well established. And I'm pretty sure it was a homebrew world that my buddy had made. And I was kind of like, I had to take over an NPC and turn him into one of the players.
0: Okay. That seems like a good way to do that.
1: But it wasn't terrible. It was like a character that was already in the world. I was explained kind of how he behaved a little bit. It was a bard, like a half-elf bard. And bards have actually turned into my favorite kind of character.
0: Yeah, like a jack of all trade. I think they're really good for um I think they're really good for players who are new and for players who kind of don't know what they want to be yet because they can do everything. They can handle a sword, they can wear armor, they can do magic.
1: Yeah, they're pretty fun. And I, I just like being allowed to be a smart ass the whole time. Yeah, that's like their superpower. <laughs>
0: Yeah, from my own experience, I would say I certainly have more experience um, playing in published campaigns and also DMing published campaigns, but I've definitely made my share of of different homebrewed experiences. Like I've I've gone to like, a, you know, like Wednesday night Dungeons and Dragons at the local card shop or something, and it seems like a lot of the campaigns I've played there were homebrew. And if they weren't, they were certainly nothing that was published in fifth edition because I've kind of took it upon myself to look through all those books because I really like the published content because it it comes with new uh, backgrounds. A lot of times it comes with new monster blocks, but I've also kind of created a few campaigns because like I was saying a moment ago, a lot of my, a lot of the time I am trying to convince my friends to become new players for D and D. And so I'll create these campaigns that are kind of newbie friendly. And I kind of like to introduce them to all the different things that they can expect in Dungeons and Dragons. So you know, I'll I'll throw a creature at them that is really easy to defeat. Then I'll throw one at them that's so tough, they need to learn to just walk away. Sometimes I'll throw some traps in there. I I just like to kind of give them like a taste of what to expect. And so I've created a lot of low level campaigns that maybe bring you from one to three. I've probably only made probably only two full fledged, like, upper level campaigns. But I just like to play Dungeons & Dragons in general. It doesn't really matter to me if it's a homebrew campaign or if it's a published campaign. It's always fun.
1: Yeah, I had no idea going into this because I grew up pretty nerdy as it was. Like, I played a lot of video games when I was growing up, and I read a lot of comic books. But Dungeons & Dragons was always this sort of, like, weird offshoot thing that I didn't know was as cool as it is. So it was like, oh, no, I'm not that nerdy. I don't I don't yeah. sit in my mom's basement and drink Mountain Dew. But now that I know, like, the mechanics of the game and kind of what it's about, like, I was like, oh, that's a game for kids from the 70s. It is not a game for children.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would be different. Like, whenever I play, I'm like, this is crazy that they, like, you'll see it in a movie or something and they're, it's always middle schoolers or something like that.
1: Yeah. Like, Stranger Things is kind of the big thing that brought it into, like, the light recently. But those kids, like... They're really smart and really creative. For that one dude, uh, I don't, I don't remember who their their DM is, but just to put it together, you kind of have to be on your toes
0: all the time. Yeah. Plus, you have to have the will to kind of do all this research. You have to have the desire to like spend a lot of time creating a really good experience for your players. And then, even if you're just a player. You still have to make a character. There's a lot of math involved. There's a lot of choices to consider. I mean, I wish I got into it when I was in middle school. I, I'm 26. I didn't get into d and I probably first played it when I was 20, and I really started getting into it when I was like 23. I wish I started in middle school, but that just seems crazy to me for a whole bunch of 7th graders to be running around playing Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Yeah, I actually have even less experience because, I, like I said, I legit started like last year. Really starting to understand the game and play. And I'm 32 now. <laughs> like, I'm about to be 33. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I waited t- until I was in my 30s to play a children's game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's okay. I didn't play World of Warcraft until like 2015.
1: That is a different thing. I've been playing that for a long time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were talking
1: about um, writing your own campaigns. And I've kind of started to delve into that a little bit myself because the only module I've ever played is this, you know, uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen, and I'm running it. So I'm behind the screen, kind of just throwing all the stuff at the players, but now I've sat back and I've started to write a story of my own that, and I, it, because I've played directly out of a module, I find myself writing it the way a module reads. I mean, there's a lot of, like, sandboxiness to it where you can go off and do what you want to do as a player, but then there are these main points that I've, I guess, subconsciously just written them into the, the, I guess, module that I'm
0: writing. So when I listen to your podcast, it's, of course, in an audio format. So I don't really know how you run it. Um, in terms of visuals, Do you use maps, or is your group strictly theater of the mind? Or do you simply just have, like, a piece of gridded paper that you draw on right there at that moment?
1: No. Um, actually, I've taken a lot of the actual maps directly from the module. Mm-hmm. And I've saved them on the computer, imported them into paint. And what you can do is set the print ratio so that it prints a section of the picture out on one page. And it's a really cool, like, homemade version of blowing up your own maps at home. Okay. Without having you know too much equipment or too much know-how, you you just open it and paint. Go to your your print settings, and then you know it changes it to print in tiles versus like one map on one sheet of paper. So I'll yeah. do that. I've also got something called uh, Dungeon Stone. They're dungeon tiles that are modular, so you can kind of build up a three-dimensional um, space for for miniatures to be in. I also paint a ton of miniatures. And I like having the visual aspect of it because it, it I feel like it brings the characters more in and makes you feel like you, you have a stronger grasp on where your character can go in relation to like monsters and you know whatever they're fighting.
0: And I think that's one of the big advantages of using um, one of the published campaigns is that it already comes with these maps. It already and, and a lot of times you just do a quick search on Google. Um, you can even find like a PDF of the actual campaign itself, or you can just, you know, look at the name of the map you're looking for, search it on Google. And yeah, that's, I think that's one of the best advantages. Um, a lot of times I'll end up taking those maps and then, like you said, I'll kind of change them a little bit, but I don't print them out. Uh, what I've designed is I basically made a box that, has a pexiglass sheet on top of it and I put a tv screen a flat screen inside the box and I lay that flat on my table and I use an hdmi HDMI cable and just project it from my laptop to there so we'll use figures and I'll have some 3d terrain like trees and things that I'll put on top and then of course miniatures for characters and and enemies and things Um, but yeah so a lot of times I'll just have the map that way and so I'll edit it in Photoshop if I need to, or sometimes I'll use roll20.com and they have a, a a really big gallery of things that you can use like monsters or like a fire or, you know, whatever it is that you want to add to the map. And I'll add more details. A lot of the times I'll add beds or add a dresser, some tables and food and stuff like that, just to make it kind of more realistic because I don't. I feel like if, if they come in a room and I describe things, they're going to simply investigate whatever I described. So I want to make it have all the things you would expect to be in a bedroom so they're truly investigating for specific things. They're not just like, oh, he described the dresser. I guess I'll go search the dresser.
1: I'm, yeah, that kind of makes it feel like it's narrowed in on certain areas. I have made my own maps. And when I do that, like, because we run the big giant battle mage group that we have at our local brewery. Uh, they're actually our sponsor for the podcast. Uh but we have a ton of people, like thirty people on Mondays and Tuesdays go out and just sit around, and drink beer and play Dungeons and Dragons, which is amazing. So for that that campaign is also um a homebrewed one. So we've had to it's a series of one shots essentially because you don't know if the same people are gonna sign up for your mission. The way it's run is like all the DMs create a mission that they're gonna run either one, two or like three weeks at the max. We create uh, an idea for it, and then we put it up on the Reddit page for Battle Mage, and then all of the players that are signed up, they go and pick which mission they want to run, and then their character goes on that adventure with that Dungeon Master for the week. So I've had to create maps specifically for the little one-shots that I've made, and what I use is a site called Pyromancers.com, and it's a real simple map-building tool, but I mean, they've got a lot of detail. You can make cool little dungeons and they have I mean like there's dragon shrine pieces that you can just pop in like it's all just tiles that you just lay together to make a map
0: that's awesome how is that since you you're kind of new to dungeons and dragons in general is it is there a lot of pressure dming for all these people you don't know
1: actually I feel like there's less pressure dming for people that I don't know because I've developed kind of a relationship with the players on the podcast And they, like, I kind of hit it really hard in the beginning. I mean, I've done stand-up for a couple years, and I love uh, impressions and character voices. So I've done some voiceover also, and I really envelop myself in, you know, creating an NPC that they can talk to with a character voice. Like, some of the episodes uh, early on, I ask the players, I'm like, well, what does this guy sound like? And then I do a shitty impression of whatever it is they want him to sound like. So it's come out with, like, Sion Wrath from the beginning of uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen had an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice or oh, wow. one of the characters I think Night Hill it was I did I did Night Hill as like uh Christopher Walken for like 15 minutes <laughs> and it took so long to just get one piece of information to these players but <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. W- What I mean is uh, I like to uh, I feel like I have more pressure DMing for the guys on the podcast because I want to make sure that they want to come back and are committed to recording every two weeks like we do and, you know, being invested in the game because, I mean, at this point, we've all put a lot of effort and time and money into our podcast and what we're trying to create. Mm -hmm. We put a lot of time and money and effort into this and we're constantly trying to expand. Like, we're working on getting to a point where we can do Uh, either live shows or videos Uh, we're putting together a youtube channel we have a twitch channel we stream video games on there but like i have to feel like i have this feeling that i want to make the experience you know good and it's just more pressure to paint all of their minis perfect and create the maps and make sure they're having
0: fun every session yeah i'm the same way i feel like i i feel like i'll go above and beyond but it's just kind of the way I am. Like I'll be so into it. Like I want it to look good. It's almost like I don't mind putting in all the extra work. It just is really taxing on my time. But like, I like to paint the the miniatures. I like to like, I'll even build things. In fact, um, the sky castle that you were talking about, I've been building it and it's, (laughs) I have a king size bed in my room. It no longer fits on my bed. I had to move it to the living room. Wow. I have been working on this thing for like a month now. And the reason I did that is because the map they give you in the book, there's a part where there where it requires a lot of verticality to go from the main floor to the top floor. Oh, yeah. And the top down display, it just didn't look that um, intuitive to me. It kind of looked like I would have to do a lot of explaining as to what's going on because there's like all these 25 foot drops and crazy angles and things.
1: Yeah. Are you talking about the, the like the cave system that kind of goes through from the bottom layer to the top layer? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, so that when I saw that I was like, "All right, I need to build something," and then it just kept growing and growing, and it's it's very large, like it's huge. And um, it, I mean, that's just the kind of thing where like I end up getting so into it that even though I'm using this campaign that was pre-made, I end up creating all these new things. Like when when I did that, I ended up building new rooms. I ended up adding a lot of content, and that's what happens. It seems like um, whenever I'm running these campaigns it feels like I'll read like one paragraph and just be filled with thousands of ideas. And I'll start either coming up with ideas for my own campaigns, or I'll just add entire chapters into the story itself. When we did Horde of the Dragon Queen, um, we skipped over the entire chapter where you're doing kind of the intrigue missions with the different caravans. And instead I put all my players on a ship and they went up the sword coast. They got attacked by a Kraken. They got washed on the shore and like had to find their way through some cave system I had them come right out the sewers of Waterdeep. I mean, it was like a three or four week detour. But I mean, you know, we're not in a hurry. We're just here to play D&D. So I didn't mind that it took an extra few weeks. It was fun.
1: Yeah, I thought our campaign was going to take a lot longer in certain areas. And they just kind of breeze past a couple of things. And the whole caravan thing, none of the players, like my whole group has no tact. They have no stealth. Like, none of them are good at being sneaky about anything. And, I mean, that's kind of because, like, we are kind of a comedy podcast at the same time. Like, we tell a lot of jokes. We do a lot of silly shit. Mm-hmm. But I was tempted to build the, uh, the castle at the end of the campaign. But after this last session we did like they didn't even get into the gates. And as soon as we start recording next session, it's rolling initiative.
0: And I think a lot of what we just said um, can be applied to making your own campaign as well. Like you can, you could go online and look for a map and just repurpose it, change a few things here and there. And really, like you said, using one of those websites to create your own maps, it's really not difficult. What was the website you said that you use to make maps sometimes?
1: It's called pyromancers.com. And it's, it's all pre-made stuff. Like, well, to make the tiles for, like, the, the spaces that the, the hallways and the floors, it's literally click and drag in squares or rectangles or whatever you want to do. So you can, I mean, you would eventually make the map itself would end up being more boxy than something out of Wizards of the Coast because it's not, I mean, it's all based on rectangular shapes. So you're not going to have, like, curling uh, tunnels that go through, it would be like a zigzag of a tunnel. When you start playing a game and you unroll a map and put candles on the corner of it for for flavor, and the players look down at it and go, holy shit, this is where we're at? It kind of adds a real tangible aspect to this world of make-believe that you've created or that you're running through. So I'm a big fan for using maps.
0: So I feel like we covered a lot of information um, that kind of introduced not only your podcast and kind of the way you and I each handle DMing respectively, but we've, we've kind of touched on a few of the differences of doing a homebrew campaign versus published. And in just a moment, I'd like to get into some of the aspects of story when it comes to, you know, a homebrew or a published. But before we do that, I would like to just take one moment to thank our sponsor. Down in the depths of the mountain, we dwarves spend our time forging powerful weapons, mining precious gems and metals, and feasting like kings. But after a day of digging for the next Arkenstone, this dwarf likes to come home to a package full of loot. Dungeon Crane is a monthly subscription box service forged specifically for RPG and tabletop gamers. Miniatures, dice, tokens, coins, maps, modules, terrain pieces, handcrafted items, RPG jewelry, and more are yours for only a few gold per month you even get a digital crate along with a physical one as an added bonus so are you brave enough to reward yourself with a dungeon crate by morden's beard i hope so dungeoncrate.com let the adventure begin Once again, that is Dungeon Crate, and you can go to DungeonCrate.com to use the coupon code DICETALK for $5 off of your order. Before we continue, I'm going to take this moment to read out one of our 5-star reviews. This 5-star review comes from our iTunes page, and it was submitted by Growl. It is entitled, This Is So Great. I'm super new to D&D, but have been a long-time podcast fiend, and I had a friend tell me about this podcast. It's really awesome, and the banter is to a minimal and necessary. It is not boring or annoying. I feel like it is perfect if you're new or experienced with D&D, and it explores so many different areas that we've all come across on our journeys. Keep it up, y'all. Thanks, Growl. We really appreciate that, as do we all of our reviews. If you would like to get a shout out the way that growl did, then go ahead and leave us a five star review so we can read it out on the podcast. Reviews really, really help us. Let us know how you're feeling about the show and they help to get us to the top of the charts so that we can reach as many listeners as possible. But we still have a lot more to talk about. So let's go ahead and get back to the show. All right, we're back. So, yeah, I think um, when you're using a published campaign, one of the big advantages is, of course, the maps like we've been discussing, but the story is usually pretty good. And even if you don't want to go verbatim with what's written, you can certainly use it as a jumping-off point. And they come with these great descriptions, um, these NPCs that you could use. You could always repurpose them and adapt them into your own story.
1: I definitely agree with that. Um, Like, keeping along the theme of what we've been talking about with... um the Horde of the Dragon Queen, the character Trepson, we did uh, an episode where we introduced, um, he's supposed to be an NPC that is an opponent of the party, and he works with the, the Cult of the Dragon and lives in this like shack outside of the hunting lodge. Yeah, well, my, I had a,
0: my players are currently captives of his at this moment.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Um, I had a, a comedian friend of mine named uh, Armando. He was coming down back into San Diego. He was he just got off a tour in in Seattle and Northern California. And he was like, dude, I really want to play on your podcast. I want to play a character. So I turned him into Trepsen, and That's awesome. C- instead of having him kind of like oppose the party... He just hates the cult of the dragons because they, they don't treat him well. And his, uh, all the guard, the ambush drakes that are inside the, in the kennel, those are his dogs in our story. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it got to the point where at the end of it, like, the whole point for Trepsin was he wanted to quit his job. So he asked the party to help him quit his job and talk to Talus the White. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I gave my Trespin a very kind of a stereotypical, very dumb troll type voice. where He's like, you come with me, I crush your bones. (laughs) But then I gave him a Yeth Hound as a pet, which is a demonic hound that has a human face. And I kind of made him like translate everything into a more intelligent voice. Like I made him talk like Spock, where he would just be like, what Master means to say is if you do not comply, your end will be imminent.
1: (laughs) It sounds like a lot of fun. And also really creepy, putting, like, there there are some creatures, I think, in uh, the Tome of Beasts, which isn't like the Wizards of the Coast sanctioned monster book, but we use it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. There are some creatures in there that have human faces that are just horrifying to look at.
0: Yeah, I was having a lot of fun with it. Like, at one point, uh, he's like, you need to surrender, or I'll be forced to attack. And then he's just, like, doing crazy damage to them while being civil. That's pretty awesome. Is it, it was very fun. So we were talking about all the basically limitless possibilities of even a published campaign. Well, when it comes to a homebrew campaign, you have no limitations at all. I mean, you can do anything you want, but if you're thinking of planning your own homebrew campaign, the main thing to consider is that it is going to take a lot more work, especially if you want to create something that's compelling and interesting for your players you're going to have to write a story, you're going to have to, you know, design npcs, you're going to have to choose monster blocks and choose different creatures and encounters or, you know, make your own even. You might have to create puzzles or traps, all these, you know, you're going to have to like have backup plans for like you were saying earlier when your players kind of run astray and they're doing all these things you never imagined they were going to do. It really involves a lot more work.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm currently working on <clears throat> a story uh, the like, how do I break this down? It's kind of, like, convoluted, obviously, because it's a homebrew story, um, but the story that everyone knows is that there are two brothers, and they're fighting over a woman, essentially, and one of the brothers is the quote-unquote good guy, and he's the the future king in my story, and he's He's about to get married to this woman, and then his brother kidnaps her and is going to sacrifice her to uh, one of the gods to gain more power and overthrow his brother. Now, they both the the woman actually ends up being a demigod and banishes them both to separate planes uh, of existence, one in a heaven and one in a hell, both in exile. And then the the only thing that was recovered at this time is the sword of the king. And the sword is buried in his tomb and the players are tasked with going to go and retrieve the sword uh, for a historian that wants to document all of this. Because people in the world at this time, uh, this, this happened 500 years before the players are playing. So they want to, uh, the, the historian just wants proof because everybody thinks that it's just a fairy tale. And then shit hits the fan and it goes pretty badly for everyone.
0: I think that's one of my favorite things about writing uh, my own stories and campaigns is it's almost like you're writing two stories. You're writing the one that's the pitch that you're going to give to your players. And then you're writing the truth of what happens after something goes away.
1: Right. Yeah. And um, I hope none of my players listen to this because I'm going to spoil a a thing a little bit. But like once they get to the point where uh, they've assembled the king's sword everything that they thought was happening is going to be the opposite of what it really is. <laughs> just because I'm, I am I want to be a dick and I want to see all their faces go, you're fucking kidding me.
0: <laughs> was there any inspiration to that or did you just come up with that one night? Uh,
1: it's essentially an amalgamation of every adventure story I've ever read or heard or seen in a movie, um, just tweaked and modified a little bit. Um, I feel like, the the idea of the two brothers fighting over the woman, like, and I'm just thinking of this now, it kind of feels a little bit like Arthur and Lancelot with Guinevere in, what was that movie? First Night, I think it was, with mm-hmm. Richard Gere. It kind of feels a little bit like that to me, like like saying it out loud. But then again, it's not, they weren't brothers. There's, there's no magic, really, in that story. But yeah, like, the whole point is... Uh, the first mission that they go on is they go up to this city, and I, I based all of this in uh, Faerun and uh, the Sword Coast because it's just easier, right? Than, than creating my whole like my own whole world. But um, there's a lot of interplanar travel in the future of this story, so it doesn't really matter. They're not really going to be in Faerun and Sword Coast for most of it. I just created my own little city and placed it in between other cities on an already existing map. They go to the tomb and they dig up this this uh, the sword or what they think where they think the sword will be. And in the the coffin is a chest and an empty book, like a book that just has no text in it. And in the chest is just the hilt of the sword. So they found part of the sword, but then they find out later that there are actually five pieces of this sword. They have to take. They have to find all of these pieces, gather them back together, take them to a, a magical forge on the plane of Earth, and then reforge the sword. And it will unlock, you know, certain powers to the to the characters. And then
0: that's when shit
1: really goes bad.
0: <laughs> that sounds really badass. Are they starting at level one? Or are you going to start them at a higher level?
1: As I'm writing it right now, I'm kind of planning on starting them at level one because there's a lot of stuff along the way that will. Allow me to throw experience at them, to level them. Um, that's that's another thing that I'm actually having pro- uh, problems with in the writing is what monsters can I use at this this level? you know, how many of them? And the DM guide is great for helping with that. But I feel like even if you even if you use the appropriate scales, a lot of the monsters I've thrown at characters in the past, they just breeze by, and it doesn't feel like there's a real sense of urgency in the fight doesn't feel like there's the real threat of death
0: right i like creating enemies that have a either an ability or some sort of um, strength that they almost have to solve like a puzzle to solve to defeat them so maybe it's like they are not hitting this thing like you know make make their ac ridiculous like 25 but then make them have really low health but then they i don't know you keep mentioning that there's like this bracelet that glows every time they do something eventually they they decide they're going to attack the bracelet and now that drops their ac to like 15 i like creating these these like situations that are abnormal for a normal encounter um to kind of avoid that because because i've been in that same situation where you have this the big bad enemy at the end or something and they breeze right through it and my option is like okay do i just lie and tell them you know oh he's still alive and add 100 health or something instead of doing that i like to just invent circumstances um, that make the fight more interesting more challenging and no matter how high of level they are they can't really be prepared for that kind of thing they have to use their wits about them
1: yeah that's that's actually a really cool aspect Uh, i'm probably going to be stealing that idea
0: (laughs) yeah go for it that's the whole point of this podcast honestly just to inspire people
1: yeah i've I've run games at uh, Battlemage like during uh, one of the one shots that I've run and I had this this dragon riding half orc character that was going to come in at the end and then just demolish half their group and that was my, my initial thought going in and when it came to the day and we were fighting they were in that room fighting him one of them uses a teleportation thing and they get what they need and they just leave and I was so pissed off (laughs) that I didn't get to use my dragon or the dragon rider for more than like one turn. Oh man. I'm like you smart motherfuckers.
0: (laughs) And like a moment ago, you said you, you were going to create your homebrew campaign, but kind of keep it set in the room. Yes, absolutely. And I do that same thing. Um, Like I was saying earlier, when I am reading through these campaigns, I'll a lot of times a simple description or just a map or, or something will, just make my mind just start going and going and going. And I can't help, but like I'll push the book away and just start writing down all these notes. Next thing I know I'm sitting at the table for two hours and I just wrote out like a quarter of a campaign or at the very least the beginning of a campaign. And a lot of times I'll just get inspired and um, end up creating these homebrew things that I'll apply knowledge that is from the canon. So I w- I'll set it in favor I'll put it on the sword coast. You know, I might set it in Waterdeep or something like that. And then end up creating this whole um, homebrew experience, but with these tie-ins to the actual canon material, just because it's available. Just because I've already put in a lot of effort into learning it and uh, researching it and things like that. So it's cool to apply it to my homebrew world. Um, One of the things I can think of right off the top of my head is I bought the campaign, The Tomb of Annihilation, which is set in the land of Cholt. I have not yet ran that campaign But in reading through it, I have decided to write an entirely different campaign that is also set in Chult. And that was just an idea that spawned just from going through that pre-made module. Basically, I want my players to... I want one archaeologist. I want a historian, a cartographer, and then like a hired mercenary. And essentially, they can be any class they want, but I just want those to be like their profession. And they've been hired by... This woman who owns the museum in Waterdeep and basically there to go to the land of Cholt because recently a lot of temples have been discovered in the thickets of the jungle. And, you know, she wants to get there before other people do. She wants to have these archaeological digs and find all these new artifacts and things like that to put in her museum. Of course, as always, the plot's going to deviate from that. But that's kind of the... That's kind of like the hook I give the players. And then when shit hits the fan, it'll turn into the epic campaign that you expect from Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Yeah, that's one of the, the biggest... Um, that that's, that story sounds really cool. The idea of having this, this pre-assembled team, um, these professionals that are hired to work together, may not necessarily know one another, but are kind of forced to have that bond as players. Because that's, that's a problem that I've been having with, you know, starting... The just the beginning of the story and why
0: they meet in a bar or something, right?
1: Like yeah, I'm I'm tired of those sort of tropes where it's like oh you've all been hired to do this, but that one's actually really good, um because when you have players all working together or like meeting randomly along the road or whatever it is, there are times where there's there's infighting and conflict that doesn't that takes away from the actual gameplay and getting through the story. And it's, it's great for opportunities for people to, to role play and really build their characters. But it can be really irritating as the dungeon master or as other people when you're like, why are we even talking about this? This has nothing to do with what you guys were just doing.
0: Right. Um. One of my players, Josh, he came in like 10 weeks after our campaign already started. And so his character is like because time passes so slowly in the game it's like we're playing for months and it's like well it's been like three days in the in the game and so something will happen and and he'll always make the joke like well i don't care i mean i just met you guys yesterday
1: that's awesome (laughs)
0: um so yeah so like i didn't force it upon them i wasn't like hey you are you know the archaeologist i I was kind of like hey guys these are the four roles i want to fill who wants to do this and that and then my friends was like well um You know, he he likes to play like a fighter or a barbarian type character. So he'd probably be good for the mercenary. Um, This person over here wants to play like a mage of some sort, like a wizard. So it would make sense for them to be the historian. Maybe they work in the library and that's why they know the magic. They have access to all these different texts, Uh, just things like that. Any way they can make the argument, I'll let them be that class. Now, if they were trying to say like, yeah, I'm a historian and I'm a professor at the University of Waterdeep but I'm this barbarian with a negative three modifier to intelligence. I might call him on that. Yeah, that that wouldn't work. <laughs> so, I mean, you do have to set a little bit of limitations, but I think slight limitations can make for a better overall game. Um, and even though I personally like to include uh, the actual canon lore and like actually set it in Faerun and things, I think for a lot of people who see that as daunting, like they don't want to spend time studying essentially, um, you know, in their free time, I think that when they make a homebrew world, one of the benefits is you don't have to do that. There's nothing to memorize. You don't have to like remember all the lore of Feyrune because you can just create the lore. And, and it's not like you're looking at your notes constantly because if you've created it yourself, you probably already kind of know what to, what to expect. You can answer their questions more thoroughly when the history of your world is something you invented. Um, you can also make it as simple or complex as you'd like. And on top of that, you know what resources you have available to you. You know what terrain you have in your house that you may have built in the past. You know what maps you have access to. You know what websites you can use. Like you were saying, you can't make a really curvy path, but you can do these um, kind of linear vertical and horizontal paths. So that's, you know, you design your map, keeping that in mind. I think those are some of the big benefits, the homebrew. On top of that, I mean, there is no limits. You can make the story be anything you want. Um, There's a podcast called The Adventure Zone by the McElroy Brothers, and they always say, we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons, but our rule is no dungeons and no dragons. You can make anything. I mean, you can make a sci-fi adventure using the rules for Dungeons and Dragons. You can make it classic medieval. You can make it modern if you want to. So I think those are all some big benefits of doing a homebrew campaign.
1: Yeah, actually, I'm kind of interested in hopefully at one point with this group getting to a point where we Use the setting as, you know, here and now in today, but use all of the mechanics of, of Dungeons & Dragons 5th uh, edition or whatever edition it ends up being at that point. Uh, and make it more so, oh, instead of running from an airship or whatever, you guys take a plane to get to this area or different scenarios like that because absolutely there, there is, are no rules other than what you set.
0: Yeah, I like changing it up a little bit. In the Dungeon Master's Guide, um, which which I realize is kind of ironic because I'm talking about coming up with something inventive and creative, but I'm <laughs> referencing the book, but they actually have optional stats to add to more, um, like how they have the wisdom and the strength and all that. You can add sanity and you can add honor. And I was looking into those and those seem like they'd be really fun to include. Um, if you were doing a modern game like this, but you still were going to have combat and monsters and things. It makes me think of Call of Cthulhu. And so you can use that sanity stat. You can, if they're playing in a modern, a modern world and they run into an orc, I mean, that's scary as hell. That's, it's not the same as running into an orc in a fantasy world. So yeah, you know, you can create new stats to kind of play with, whether it be sanity or luck or honor.
1: Yeah. Speaking of the the DM guide, I, I use that as kind of like my Bible while I'm writing um, i'm I'm still creating a lot of you know made up ideas or just you know original content for the story, but just like anybody that that writes anything there if you if you're a writer generally you're a watcher or a listener to other people's work, and whether or not you mean to uh, it will bleed into your work in one way or another
0: oh definitely I'm a big I'm a big I was not say I'm a big fan of horror movies but I'm not I'm a big fan of sci-fi horror movies like alien um predator things of that nature and so I'll put a lot of that into my campaigns I'll try my best to describe a situation that is truly scary like if I can make a player sitting at my table that's drinking beers and eating popcorn or whatever at a table in my living room genuinely experience fear then I feel like I did a really good job so Absolutely. i'll 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 definitely influence the way I run a game based on just the things I enjoy be it video games movies books anything of that nature
1: I found that to be really true like in anything you do creatively and creating your own world in D d is a very creative endeavor to take on uh, but like I said I was doing stand-up for a while and in writing new jokes like I would go out and just all day long at work I would be listening to other stand-ups and then i would kind of use that as a template of like oh okay well i can't say these things this way and i would write about my own life and then i did a joke for a couple of months actually and then somebody came up to me later and was like hey there's this touring comic that does a joke just like that but he does it this way and so it's really interesting that you like every everybody kind of feeds off of one another and whether or not you're being creative y- you still have these these avenues that kind of bleed into your work and sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad.
0: Yeah, and I think even when I am making homebrew uh campaign even if I'm trying to design a full homebrew setting I'm going to be influenced by the material that I've already kind of memorized from Wizards of the Coast because you know they do give you these maps. They do give you these puzzles and traps, creatures, NPCs, Um, they give you these awesome images that really can add flavor to your character. You describe it, then I'll hold up the book and show my players what it actually looks like. Um, And they come with all this lore that you include in your game. So I think that, at least for me, it's always going to influence the way I run things. So I don't know. It can be a good and a bad thing. Like, if you're trying to be truly creative and truly original, you might not want certain things to influence you. But I think at the end of the day it's usually a positive thing when something influences you. It's just going to, like, if you're passionate about something, you're going to do a better job. I think having passion is, is more important than having knowledge. Uh, when I invite some people to talk on the show with me on this podcast, a lot of times they go, I don't think I'll be good. I don't know that much about it. And I'm like, dude, you've been playing for a year. Like all you need is the desire and the interest in it. And I, and we'll, everything will end up fine. And I think that, definitely goes through into D D or any piece of art if you're drawing if you're painting you're making a movie or music the things you enjoy are going to influence your work and they're going to be they're just going to be a big part of the product that you produce at the end of the day and i think it's something that should be encouraged and not something that you should like be afraid of afraid like you shouldn't be afraid that something influence you you should just run with it and try to make it your own and i agree
1: yeah, because I'm writing this big story for my players to eventually run through, I've been having this problem where I want to bounce ideas off of somebody or I want to get feedback on some of the stuff that I'm writing. So, of course, my wife falls victim to hearing about all of this stuff because I can't tell the other players. Like, I have some great writers and, and really funny guys that I that I do the show with, but I can't tell them because I want genuine reactions from them when we record that mo- that story that I'm writing. So I'll read something to my wife and she goes, I've seen that in a movie. And I'm like, well, which movie? I don't know, but I've seen it. And I'm like, well, you got to help me. I, I need to know what it is. So I'm not doing exactly that.
0: <laughs> um, but with that, I think we have provided our listeners with uh, an extensive amount of knowledge and hopefully some entertainment. Was there anything else that you wanted to say before we uh, end our discussion here?
1: Check out the Geek Sauce podcast uh, on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, anywhere you get a podcast, you can probably find uh, Geek Sauce. If you listen, please go on iTunes and give us a review. It'd be amazing. Um, check us out on Instagram at uh, at Geeksauce DM or at Geek underscore Network. And uh, anything you do, remember to spread the sauce. That's how we get the podcast out.
0: All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week of Dice Talk. Um, once again. That is Patrick Collins from Geek Sauce. And I will provide a link to the podcast and their various social medias in the show notes. So um, just look below and click the link. And yeah, go ahead and listen to Geek Sauce today. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. How do you like to run your campaigns? Do you prefer published or do you like to create your own world? We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to DicetalkShow.com. There you can engage on our blog with the Dice Talk community, explore our image gallery, and stay up to date with all things Dice Talk. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five star review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts so that Dice Talk can reach even more listeners. Leaving us reviews lets us know how you feel about the show, and it is the best way to support us. It really helps get the podcast out there. So rate and review us, tell us what you think, and listen for your shout out. Until then, tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening to Dice Talk, and be sure to tune in next week for Episode 8.